Uh, good morning. If your pew Bible looks like this, uh, I'm on page 721, reading from Mark 15, starting at verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner, prisoner whom the people requested, a man called Bar, Bar, Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him? But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barbaros instead. What shall I do? With the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barbaros to them and, asked, and had Jesus flogged and handed him over for, to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and tw then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes. Then they led him to out to crucify him. In... 2015, the Anaheim Ducks transferred Kyle Palmieri to the New Jersey Devils in exchange for a current second-round pick and a future third-round pick. Now, this turned out not to be the smartest move for Anaheim because during his first year with his new team, Palmieri scored 30 goals then the next season, he scored 26 goals. The season after that, he scored 24 goals, becoming a top six winger. That was a bad trade. But this was an even worse trade. This, what I'm about to say, is it was an even worse trade. The Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for $100,000 and a $300,000 loan to finance a musical called No No Nanette. How many of us have heard of No No Nanette? How many of us have heard of Babe Ruth? <laughs> Even when I was in Wales, where baseball is not a thing, where I'd never played or even watched a game. In fact, I had a friend who used to have Sky, which was like satellite TV, and he used, to, he used to watch it, and we thought that was the most exotic thing ever, that you can watch something other than rugby or football or cricket. He watched, he watched baseball. And so even there in Wales, where baseball is not a thing, we'd heard of Babe Ruth. He's just one of those names. 
But he's one of those names because after he moved to the Yankees, his new team went on to really dominate the World Series for the next 20 years. The Red Sox during that time won absolutely zilch, nothing. Babe Ruth traded for a musical. When a sports team makes a major trade, the first question that always comes to mind is, is this good for us or bad for us? Will this help us or will it ruin us? Trading is simply part of human nature. It's in all of us. We see it in yard sales and garage sales. When we were in the markets of the Philippines or the Middle East, it wasn't just normal to barter during a trade. It was expected. In fact, it was rude not to. We, we, we even bartered for a taxi ride in the Philippines because when the U.S. naval ships were in port, uh, we would be charged five times what we would usually pay. But then we would barter down and explain that we're from that other ship, that ship of missionaries, where most people get a stipend of 20 euros a month uh, with that ship, and it usually worked. We would get what we asked for. There was a priest in the UK who bought a painting for 400 pounds from an antique shop. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go into secondhand shops or antique shops thinking, I'm going to spend 400 pounds, which is what, like 700 bucks or something. That's just not on my radar. But he was a priest of a different church, and he was able to do that. And so he went in and he spent 400 pounds at this antique shop. He then went and had it authenticated and valued as a genuine Van Dyke at 400,000 pounds, 1,000 times what he'd paid. It would really suck to be that antique shop owner. In fact, I'd probably shut up shop after that thinking, I don't have what it takes. And we're all made... In the image of God, every single one of us here, if you're sat here and you're human, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, one thing is true is that you are made in the image of God. And if that's true, and it is, then it's no surprise that we find a trade right at the center of the story of the Bible, right at the heart of the Bible. And it wasn't even a good trade. It was a a Van Dyke trade. It was Babe Ruth for a musical. My name's Dan, and it's my utter privilege to serve here as pastor at Cornerstone. And we are a community whose purpose it is to know Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to show Jesus to others. That's what we're all about, and it's wonderful to see you here today. So please turn with me to Mark chapter 15. In Mark 15, Jesus has, or in Mark 14, Jesus was tried and convicted by the Jewish ruling council. It was his own words that signed his, his death warrant. I am the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, Mark 14:62. He was then sent on to Pilate, who then sent him to Herod, who then sent him back to Pilate. And once again, in front of Pilate, Jesus chooses silence. The, the chief priests are once again there like a pack of spiteful schoolchildren trying to goad him into speaking, into defending himself, but he's silent. He knows who he is. He has nothing to prove. 
And again, he waits for that moment where, where the lies subside and the truth is finally spoken. And then he chooses to speak. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, Mark 15, verse 2. You have said so. It is as you say, if you say so. And so Jesus speaks his last words on terra firma. The next words that he speaks will be on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, between God and man. I would like to ask our um, ushers, our assistants, if you could please come up and start handing out the bread. Okay, and as you do that, it's okay. We won't do it in the usual formal way. Just come up and grab them and start handing them out, and I'm going to keep preaching, okay? And what I'd like you to do is that if you're in a relationship with the Lord or you want to start a relationship with the Lord here this morning, please accept that bread. If you don't feel that you're ready, then please let it just uh, pass on. So what I want today is to help us lean in and focus because this passage is so rich and full that I'm afraid that if we try to cover it all it'll be like trying to do Paris in a day we would miss so much and so instead we're going to do one thing we're going to do the Eiffel Tower as it were we're going to stare with intensity at what's going on with Barabbas and Jesus it was, it was just a few hours earlier that Jesus had prayed that I can prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This prayer of intimacy, of character, of authenticity, and of non-resistance. And it was this prayer that filled Jesus' heart with God's reassuring presence and his love and enabled him to shoulder this, what, what, what was going to be coming with confidence. And this, and this I can prayer started with this word, Abba. Jesus, the son, was speaking to dad. Jesus, the son, was speaking to the father. Jesus was the son of the father. But now we meet this guy whose name is Barabbas, whose name means a son of the father. Bar means son of, and Abba means father. So you've got Barabbas a son of the father. Now, Barabbas was a real historical figure. He was part of the uprising against the Romans. And we're told in verse 7 that he was, um, he was in prison with the insurrectionists. He was a rebel. He was a revolutionary. And I expect that some people were, were rather proud of him. They thought, here is someone who has the guts to do what many didn't. This, here, here's a guy who has the guts to stand up against the Romans. So some people were proud of him. Thanks, guys. You, you, you can have a seat now. However, I expect for other people that Barabbas was part of the problem. You see, whenever these folks rebelled against the Romans, it made life hard for everyone. Why couldn't they just keep calm and, and carry on? Why, why couldn't these insurrectionists just work hard and keep their noses clean? And so I would imagine that Barabbas and his type split public opinion. Were they freedom fighters? 
were the terrorists. And so Pilate, who has nothing against Jesus, he hopes that the goodwill of the crowd is with Jesus, not Barabbas. And so he pits Jesus against Barabbas in this national lottery of freedom in verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And he words it like this, hoping to spark some national fervor in the crowd so that they would say, yes, yes, we do want you to release the king of the Jews because he's the king of the Jews and we're Jews. Pilate is hoping that this is like offering a kid the choice between a chocolate bar and a floret of broccoli. However, to Pilate's amazement, the crowd chooses the broccoli. Set Barabbas free, nail Jesus to a cross. But for what crime, Pilate asks. Well, they don't have an answer. Maybe they don't even know. All they know is that they're mad, real mad about something. They've been whipped into a frenzy by the Sanhedrin. And someone has to pay. And apparently that person is Jesus. And while this is going on, you have to understand that Barabbas is looking on. He's looking at the crowd. He's looking at Jesus with, with the blindfold still hanging around his neck, with his face still raw from the slapping that he received at the hands of the Sanhedrin's guards. And his face is still shiny from the phlegm that they spat all over his face. So Barabbas was a real person. He was there. His son meant, or his name meant, a son with a small s of the father. And to his surprise, he finds himself in a celebrity voting match. And his rival is Jesus, the one who was the son with a capital S of the father. The son of the blessed one, Mark 14, 61. The one who the demons identified as the son of God, Mark 3, verse 11. The one whom God himself named as my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased, Mark 1, verse 11. So we have Barabbas, a son of Abba. Versus Jesus, Abba's son. And in Barabbas, yes, he was a real person, but in, in, in Barabbas, we see ourselves, sons and daughters of God. He's an everyman. And across from him, we see Jesus, the Father's son. We go free, Jesus goes to the gallows, the guillotine, the electric chair the gas chamber, the firing squad, the torture chamber, the cross. And we ask, what crime has Jesus, Abba's son, committed? And we don't have an answer because we we cannot answer. But we do know what crimes we have done. We know what brokenness and willful sin exists in our lives. We are experts on the depth of evil that quietly thrives in our hearts like mushrooms in a dark closet and so we keep quiet and hope that no one notices and we hope that the crowd shouts loud enough to drown out our guilty conscience only nowadays it's not the sound of a frenzied mob that drowns out our inner voice our conscience instead it's the noise of hecticness of technology of to-do lists of kids activities of social media alerts of errands These drown out this voice, and so we've learned to silence our conscience. Let's pause for a moment. As we place ourselves in that scene with Jesus, if you want to close your eyes, feel free to close your eyes. 
his life for our life. And the noise of the crowd subsides as we realize that Jesus is looking at us. We assume that those eyes would be filled with resentment and with condemnation. We imagine him saying to us, what did I ever do to you? How could you do this to me? And yet, as we steal a glance at Jesus' eyes, we are, we are taken aback to see eyes of furious love, more intense than the most passionate lover, eyes that flame with compassion and spark with mercy. Let us take this bread in our hands. And as you're sat there holding this piece of bread that symbolizes the ruptured, mutilated, crippled, mangled body of Jesus, let's take a moment of silence. And in that moment of silence, whisper this to him. You did this for me. You did this for me. Let's all close our eyes and have a moment of silence. You did this for me. You did this for me. I am Barabbas, a child of the Father because of what you you did. I eat this remembering the furious love that you have for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's eat. I'm accepted, you are condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, let's sing amazing love together. King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I'd now ask the ushers to come and pass around the cup, please. And once again, as it comes around, please hold on to it until I say it's time. Jesus died for Barabbas. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Let me say it again. Jesus died for Barabbas. He took Barabbas's place. And not just figuratively, He literally took Barabbas' place. Let me explain. Verse 27 of chapter 15 
So this is moving on a little bit from our passage today. But verse 27 of chapter 15 tells us this. They crucified two rebels with him, one on the right and one on the left. Now we aren't exactly sure what crime it is that, that, that these men did. Was it robbery? Some translations say they were robbers. Uh, other translations say they were rebels. So rebellion, was it murder? But they are identified in verse 27 as rebels. Now, Consider this. This man, Barabbas, has just been released. There's a space left on the crucifixion schedule. There's a cross free. Jesus is condemned to execution last minute by Pilate. And he's crucified next to two rebels in that space that was just vacated. Some translations say robber. But that term was also a term used by Rome for for rebels against Rome. So robber equals rebel. So what do we make of this? That Jesus was crucified between two rebels while a third rebel was allowed to go free. Could it be that that cross was meant for Barabbas? Could it be that the flogging whips that the Roman soldiers tortured Jesus with were actually checked out that morning from the armory because Barabbas was on the docket? Could it be that Barabbas was supposed to carry that cross from the city up to the hill? Could it be that those nails that were carefully stored at the top of the hill were actually meant for Barabbas? that that mallet that one of the soldiers brought with him, no one imagined that it would be for anyone other than Barabbas, a son of the father. Should it have been Barabbas who looked left and right and saw those fellow rebels? Would, Would Barabbas have been defiant and rebellious to the end like the one, or would he have been repentant like the other? And yet it was not Barabbas who hung there. It was Jesus with this hastily written sign, this is the king of the Jews, over his head. No one imagined that we would get off scot-free. No one did, not in a million years. No one could have conceived such a twist of fate. The, you know, the best crime writer or mystery writer couldn't have come up with a, with a better twist, with a more surprising twist. This that the condemned would be exchanged for the eternal son of the eternal father. And the fact that Jesus took our place on that cross that had been crafted with our name and our crime on it could not have been dreamt up by anyone. It was totally unprecedented. No legal authority, no no. National government, no satanic power, no human mind could even wrap their mind around this fact that the pure and unblemished prince of the universe, son of the blessed one, would treat his own rights and privileges with such contempt and disdain. If a, if a multi-billionaire heir gave up every cent of his fortune and started working in a third world factory making shoes, it would pale in comparison with the absurdity of what Jesus did. And yet, he did it. He poured himself 
out as an offering. He drank that cup of suffering that we deserve. He endured the hell of God's righteous anger that we rebels incurred. What other king leaves his glory so he can die? And he was the one who drank that cup of horrendous suffering, both both physical and spiritual, to the very last drop. There was no glint of liquid left in the bottom of the glass for you or for me. And so if we are in Christ this morning, we can lift that cup of our sin and our eternal suffering to our own lips, and and we're shocked to find that there's nothing left, nothing even to wet our lips. It's all gone. It's all been absorbed into the body of Jesus. He's dealt with it all. Let us prepare our glasses. And once again, let's pause a moment as we consider Jesus as he hangs on that rebel's tree, on that rebel's cross, while the rebel is free to walk around. He's free to live again. He's free to love. He's free to work. He's free to play. He's free to shop. He's free to reoffend if he wants or to start this new life brand new. It's up to him. It's up to her. And that rebel is you. The eternal son of the eternal father is hanging on the cross in place of you, a child of the father. Your adoption papers into God's family were signed in Jesus' blood. And as Jesus hangs on that cross, you would imagine that Jesus would be cursing your name. You would imagine that he would be consumed with piping, hot, frustrated hatred. You would imagine that with every laboring gasp, that he would be praying for your downfall. You would imagine that the only comfort that he could draw from this moment, from this time of concentrated physical and spiritual anguish, would be to imagine that someday, please God, let that person suffer even worse. But what do we hear instead? We hear, forgive them, Father. Forgive her, Father. Forgive him, Father. During this time of silence, as we consider these truths, whisper to Jesus, you took my place. You took my place. Let's have a moment of silence. I am Bar Abbas, a child of the Father, because of what you you did, and I drink this remembering the furious love that you had and have for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's drink. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you are condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love, how can it be? My King would die for me. 
Now, we don't know what Barabbas did with the rest of his life. Maybe he told his grandkids of the, the tale of that day that he had a lucky escape. Maybe he went straight back to his old ways. Maybe he died the next week in a guerrilla attack on a Roman squadron. The Bible simply doesn't tell us. But perhaps he was changed forever. Perhaps on the way home, he swung by Crucifixion Hill and had a look at his two former brothers in crime. Maybe he felt a wave of regret that what was happening to them, he'd somehow escaped. Maybe he looked long and hard at that broken figure on the middle cross under the last minute sign, this is the King of the Jews. Maybe he heard Jesus say, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're they're doing. Maybe he heard Jesus scream with a tortured cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe he heard Jesus finally say with a sigh of peace and release, into your hands I commit my spirit. The eternal son of the father was traded for a man whose name means a son of the father. His life for Jesus's. Your life for mine. The question is, can you say, are you saying, therefore my life is yours. Your life for mine, my life is yours. This was the original Babe Ruth for a musical trade. And we might be tempted to feel sorry for the one that got the short end of the stick. We might be tempted to feel sorry for Jesus, except that he fully knew what he, he was doing. In fact, he rejoiced in this trade. He was thrilled that he won Barabbas, a second chance at life, because what took place in the court of Pilate symbolizes the offer that's made to every human that ever lives, lives now, and ever will live. Babe Ruth for a musical, a long and painful death for eternal life, knowing the incredible love of God. Sin for salvation, indebtedness for indescribable joy, conviction for carte blanche. And sometimes we can treat the good news with with such a dismissive, I know this already. Let's move on to the good stuff, on to the meaty stuff. But this is it. This news is everything. The truth of these eight words, Jesus' life for yours, your life is his, is everything. Nothing else matters. This is 
more heart-stopping than the greatest romance. This is more exhilarated, more exhilarating than the most expected promotion at work. This is more secure than the securest RRSP. This is more comforting than the tastiest soul food. This is more worth looking forward to than the best vacation you could ever imagine. Jesus' life for yours, that's grace. Your life is his. And if you think you understand it, then it proves that you don't. If you think that you've explored its depths, then you're just a toddler splashing around in a paddling pool. If you understand it in your brain, but you've never felt it down here, down here in your heart and here in your gut, then you've never grasped it. If it doesn't move you, then you've not comprehended it. It's extravagance. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend the way you love us. It's unthinkable. Only heaven knows just how far you'd go to say you love us. Stephanie Gretzinger. I came to the inescapable conclusion that the degree of Abba's love for me is in direct proportion to his love for Jesus, Brennan Manning. Let me say that again. I came to the inescapable conclusion that the degree of Abba's love for me is in direct proportion to his love for Jesus. Jesus loved, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And if Barabbas had heard those words, forgive them, Father, well, he'd never have looked at his name the same way again. The king of the Jews hanging was the son of the blessed one, the son of the father. You are Barabbas. And the adoption papers that can make you a son or daughter of of the father were signed in Jesus' blood, the son of the father. And all we need to do is to sign our name below his All we need to say is, your life for mine, my life is yours. And in that moment, all his rights, his privileges, his life, his righteousness, his inheritance, all that he won for us on the cross becomes ours in an instant, forever. Just as our sin, our shame, our failed choices, and our guilty conscience becomes his No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. It's not a fair trade. It's a Babe Ruth for a musical trade. And and I praise God and I hope you do too that it was never meant to be a fair trade. Oh, 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 oh,